turn in your Bibles, please, um, to once again to Ephesians, the second chapter. And we're going to get started. And as always, Holy Spirit, we so look to you to teach us, to lead us, and to guide us um, together in Jesus' name. And again, just as we did last week, we did it again this week, um, a little bit of an illustration in our time of communion. So what we all did this morning when we took communion is we just practiced Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, where Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we're starting and wanting to talk about what that looks like. We said last week again, you know, we came and we received communion this morning. Did, did I force you to take it? Could you have stayed seated? Yes. Could you have decided, yeah, I don't want, don't want that today. Yes. Yep. I just think I'll just sit right there. Right. And that's, that's the way everything is in the kingdom of God. This is how we entered the kingdom of God. And this is how we'll live in the kingdom of God. Everything is grace, which is that which was provided for you. Right? Again, we, as we said last week, none of y'all set the table today. We thank Audra for always setting our communion table. We officially do that. She does that so graciously. But someone else prepared the table. Someone else made it ready. Someone else paid the price. Someone else set it out. That's grace. Everything that Jesus did for us because of himself, because, and I can't say that, because he wanted to. Isn't that awesome? Not because God forced him, not because God made him, nor did he do it reluctantly. He didn't go, ah, I guess if I gotta, I'll go down there. It's everything that Christ did freely because he wanted to, because he is love, because he is goodness, because that's just who he is. He wanted this. That's grace. And faith is like what you did this morning. Faith is your positive response to everything Jesus has done. That's all faith is. Faith is your willingness in our little example to get up and come receive what was already provided. Does that make sense? Guys, that was one of that helped me so much when I heard uh, that illustration of grace and faith. It helped set me free from a lot of stuff because it, it helped me realize that faith isn't a work. Faith is a response. Does that make sense? You know, even we talk about James and y'all just, y'all just pray with me. Okay. I'm just letting the Lord lead us. Cause I really want to take the, the weeks to talk this out because it's connected to our whole living in the kingdom of God. You know, James said in his work, in his book, faith without works is dead. And I don't disagree with that obviously cause it's in scripture, right? I, I like to look at that sometimes like faith without your positive response is dead. Because what happens, Kevin and I were talking about before, what has happened is in the best of intentions, we've tried to motivate people in their faith. And have you heard this good old uh, Christianese saying before? So, you know, uh, Miss Teresa, you just got to fake it till you make it. You ever heard that one before? 
Somebody say, you know, you got to fake it till you make it. You, you just go out there and, and, and pretend and do it anyway. And maybe somewhere down the line, you'll get into faith. Because listen, it, it doesn't work that way. Right? It's not, James is not saying, if I go do something, then I'll get faith. Or if I go do something, I will then prove I have faith. James is saying, when you believe, you will respond. Does that make sense? When you believe, when you are persuaded, when faith arises in your heart, the response will come. It will come right out of you. Does, it, does that make sense? You know, a, a little bit of an, of an analogy here from Selena and I's life. You know, we, we homeschool our kids. We, we've had the pleasure and the joy of doing that. When we first started having kids, it was kind of like a process of persuasion, right? We find out we're having kids. We learn to immediately begin to plan. So we said, okay, well, even though they're not even born yet, in about five years, we've got to do something with their education. What are we going to do? So we started asking and looking and probing and searching and Lord, what are we, what are we going to do with our kids' education? And we started this journey of persuading our heart of what we would do when it came to education. So we went to the scriptures and that's a long story that we teach in other settings that got us there. But here's, here's what happened. But over the course of persuasion... As we allowed the word of God to persuade us, as we asked God for wisdom and he sent us people and resources and we saw things and we continually persuaded our hearts, we moved back now to Alabama about seven years ago now. And we were looking at, well, what are we going to do with schooling here? This is how we met Tony and Penny. We went to a thing called Classical Conversations and I'd never heard of it before. Selena had kind of heard of it. And we go to this thing, and I'm sitting in their little meeting. They do this meeting where they're going to pitch you, right? They're going to do the, the sales pitch. And whoever was up there forgot who the lady was. She got up there, and she started talking about why classical conversations. She got about four minutes in, and I looked over at Selena. I said, I don't know what this is, but this is the answer. Just say yes. <laughs> I don't need to know any. I mean, I'll be glad to sit here, but I don't need to know any more. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, listen, do you see, you see that? That's, that's the process of persuasion. When you persuade your heart, when, when you establish faith in you, then the response just shows up. Does that make sense? The response will appear and you'll go, oh, okay, we're going to go do that. Well, what led you to do that? My faith. I was persuaded in this area. I was firm in my belief in this area. So, oh, this is what we need to do. Does that make, does that make sense? Yes. You know, and, and guys, that's the whole thing. How many of you, and, and maybe let's do a little bit of a poll. I've never done this before. This could go back, backwards on me. If it does, that's fine. Right? How many of you, you heard the gospel one time and one time only and you became a believer? Anybody here raise your hand on that? When you became a believer... You heard the gospel once, and bam, you accepted Jesus. Just once. I see a little bitty hand in the back. Okay, possibly. Okay, I get you. All right. How many of you heard it twice? You heard the gospel preached twice, and you became a believer. Anybody? How about three times? No, by four. Four times. I see that four times hand right there. I got it. How about five? Somebody heard it five times? 
How many, how many of you, you have no idea, it was definitely a lot. You, you heard it more than once. Guys, listen to me. That's your eternal salvation. You heard about your eternal security and salvation in Jesus multiple times. And if you can say, and finally, not out of condemnation, finally, but finally you were persuaded by the drawing of the Lord and the hearing of the word, faith dawned in your heart and you responded. Now, how many of you, when that response came, did it take as long to do the response as it did the believing? No. By the time persuasion came and you were persuaded, right, you, what'd you do? How many of you, you went to an altar like I did? You were in a church and you went to a good old-fashioned altar. How many of you prayed maybe at home by a bed or at the couch or in the bathroom, proverbially, where God seems to talk to a lot of people in the bathroom? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? But how many, do you see that little analogy again? You heard the message of salvation multiple times. You heard the word of God. And when it came time to respond, the response was automatic. You didn't have to sit there and go, well, what should I do to get saved? What should I, I know what I need to, <laughs> does that make sense? No, you, you just probably heard maybe a preacher, maybe whatever. You just heard somebody say, if you just call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. And how many of your salvation prayer sounded like Jesus? <laughs> Jesus, I need you. Jesus, help. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I can't do this anymore. What, any variation thereof. You just said, Jesus. Amen. Does that make sense? Because listen, that's how we entered the kingdom of God. That's how we'll live in the kingdom of God. Right? That's how we will continue in the kingdom of God is we will allow the grace of God, everything that God has freely done for us, we will allow that to persuade our hearts for the rest of our life. Hallelujah. It, it won't ever stop. They'll never come to a place where I'll stand back and you know what? I, I'm just, I'm fully persuaded. Nobody needs to tell me anything ever again about anything Jesus has done. I got it. Right? <laughs> there's some, there's more, there's some out there. And we call those people unbelievers. Because unbelief is the unwillingness to continually allow myself to be persuaded. That's, what un that's simply what unbelief is. No, I don't need to hear that anymore. I heard that before. Yeah, I know that verse. Yeah, the preacher was just talking about that last week. Yeah, I know that. Right? See, unbelief as well isn't just an action. It has actions, but those actions are unbelief is the same way. I, I'm just not going to be persuaded about that anymore. I'm not going to be persuaded about how saved I am. I'm not going to be persuaded about how healed I am. I'm not going to be persuaded about how blessed I am. I don't need to hear any more of that. Can we hear something else? Do you, do you see? Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? See, that's when we get into that. That's when we could say, oh, I'm getting close to unbelief. 
because I'm, I'm being unwilling to be persuaded. Again, that was the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees literally with Jesus in the flesh standing before them going, I will not be persuaded. <laughs> you can do a miracle. And even like we said last week, you can even do a miracle that I require because that was the man who was born blind. The Pharisees had a, a oral tradition that only Messiah could heal a man born blind because that was attached to sin and only Messiah could remove sin. So even when Jesus performs their required miracle that they needed, they still said, nope, I won't be persuaded. You can't convince me that you are who you are. See, that's unbelief. Does that help? And I hope that inspires us because, guys, we're all in this. I could use some more persuasion. How about you? Yes. Amen. <laughs> Amen. I could, I could grow in the strength of my persuasion. Yes. Amen. My persuasion could get stronger in a whole lot of stuff. Yes. If I just, again, being transparent, I need more persuasion when it comes to healing. Mm -hmm. I need more persuasion when it comes to God's going to take care of me and God's going to provide for me. And I'll never be lacking and he'll never let me be, be without does that make sense? I, I can, we all can. And that's when we say that, when we say, I need more persuasion, please hear me. You're not saying you don't believe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We're not saying you don't have faith. Right. Yeah. We're not saying there's something wrong with you. We're saying, hey, welcome to being normal. Yes. <laughs> we all need to be persuaded. Come on. Yes. Does that make sense? We all need to hear it. Again, I, I use the story and it's been stuck with me because I hadn't thought about it until then. And we'll read up some more scriptures, I promise. This is not just going to be Brad blabbering on um, and stuff. Well, I appreciate that. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> lady in the front row. But, um, but you know, the, the story of David. You know, we, we talked a little bit about last week. It's been with me all week. You know, David and that great faith story about David and Goliath. Right? Well, David was very persuaded that he was in covenant with God. Yes. Very. Right? He was very persuaded. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Right. Mm -hmm. Who is this man who defies the armies of the living God? He has no covenant with God. We've got a covenant with God. Yeah. He was persuaded. Yeah. But what he wasn't persuaded about is, well, what did the king say? What's going to happen to the dude that kills the big guy? You remember that? Because yeah. he hears somebody say, oh, the, whoever kills Goliath, the king's going to give him a big old sack of money, going to hopefully give him the good-looking princess and not the ugly one. I don't know. You know, but he's going to get one of the princesses, and his family's going to be tax-exempt for the rest of their lives. And David was like, that sounds like the gospel. That's kind of some too-good-to-be-true news. So what did David do? He went to somebody else and he said, tell me one more time. What did the king say? What happened to the man who did this? And another person said, oh, well, the king said, you'll do this. You'll get the gold. You'll get the girl. You'll get the, they were persuaded. They, and exactly the other people were persuaded. The king would do the good stuff, but they weren't persuaded about their covenant because they wouldn't go out and fight. But David went to three separate people and said, tell me one more time, what did the king say? What did the king say would happen? And finally he says, got it. So I was thinking this week, 
So David pursued Goliath for the honor of God and for the stuff. Come on now. It's okay to pursue God for his honor and his glory and to get the reward. There's nothing wrong with either of that. Sometimes we're like that. Sometimes we're just more persuaded about one than the other. But David, so does that make sense? So would we look bad at David, right? If we were there in that story and we heard David going to the next guy and saying, tell me what the king said. Would we kind of get on David and go, well, David, why don't you just believe? Where's your faith, brother? Come on. Or would we go, hey, yeah, David, good on you. What did the king say? Guys, so listen, because what happens in all of our lives is sometimes, again, we have been so grounded and founded in we are born again. We have been forgiven for our sins. When we die, we will, quote, unquote, go to heaven. Does that make sense? And we are convinced and our hearts persuaded, but maybe not so much on he'll heal all my diseases, right? He'll always take care of me. He'll always provide. Does that make sense? And so we just need to be as smart as David was. We need to go to each other and go, well, Tony, what did Jesus do for me again? Can you just tell me one more time? Absolutely. Helps a ton. Get it. Yeah. Well, God, well, now you understand, Miss Tabitha, why I make sure we have different people who share and teach here. Because we need to hear it more from just me. It's why I want to give each and every one of us opportunity to share in some way or some fashion. Because we need to hear it from you. It's why we take the time to do pre-service fellowship, coffee breaks in the middle, hang out on Thursday nights and have dinner. I know we've kind of fallen off the third Sunday of the month fellowship wagon. We might need to pick that back up in some, but we need more time to hang out with each other so that we can hear it from other people. Because again, the scripture says out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. That's why we overcome him by the word, by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? Because you're helping in me and I'm hopefully helping you persuade our hearts. Does this make sense? Yes. So this is what I want, want to talk about. So where do we go next, Lord? Go to Romans. And everybody say, Brad, don't be in a hurry. All right, good. Awesome, because sometimes I get in here and I just need to slow down. Y'all will come back next time, right? Yep. Okay, good. Awesome. If y'all promise to come back next time, then I'll slow down. If y'all promise not to come back next time, then, then no, we'll get pizza and we'll just stay here all day. Because I... <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing. Yes, pizza. Okay, good. But um, let's go to Romans Chapter, so look at chapter 9. And so what we're going to do, just a little bit of business, we're going to be teaching this way on Sundays as we're covering this topic. And we're going to take Thursdays for questions and answers, right? Because I understand that some of us come from what's called the Word of Faith background. That's me. 
Anybody else here that comes from a Word of Faith background? Who else here is from good old Word of Faithville? Anybody not know what Word of Faith is when I talk about that? Nobody know? All right, there's a few people kind of know. Okay, so the, there's, here's a real brief timeline, okay, of, of church history from the early 1900s, okay? So in the early 1900s, a, a one-eyed blind man, um, a black guy named William Seymour, who was blind in one eye and only had one eye, he went to Azusa Street. Love this guy. If you've never read the life story of William Seymour, you, you need to. Because talk about somebody that overcame all kinds of stuff. He actually, a little bit of history was he wanted to go to Charles Parham's Bible school. But they wouldn't let him in because he was black. So he said, well, would you at least crack open the door or the window and I'll sit outside. <laughs> and so they would. On the nice days, they'd crack the window. And on the rainy days, they'd crack the door and he'd sit under the stoop when it was raining. He just wanted to hear the word of God. Amen. Just love that determination to be persuaded. But he gets persuaded and God leads him and he goes to Los Angeles, California. And he ends up renting like a barn or an empty warehouse or something on a street that's now quite famous called Azusa Street. Anybody ever heard of Azusa Street? So Azusa Street was a great outpouring of the Spirit. It happened around 1904, 1906, somewhere in there. And the Holy Spirit was poured out. Uh, on Azusa Street at these meetings. And William Seymour, he was so, it was so neat. I love this. He was so incredibly humble and he so much didn't want it to be about him. He would crawl. He had like a milk crate pulpit is what they had, like just box crates. And when it came time to pray, he would crawl into the pulpit so nobody could see him. Because he didn't in any way want it to be about him. He wanted it all to be about God. But God fell in powerful ways and literally people came from all around the world to Azusa Street and took the fires of Pentecost back with them. Well, from Azusa Street moving forward, we get some lovely denominations called the Assemblies of God and the Church of God. I don't know if you knew that or not. But the Church of God came out of Azusa Street and then they went through a good old split and broke off into the Assemblies of God and the Church of God. And then the Church of God, I know some of y'all are Church of God background, the Church of God has gone through like two or three subsequent splits and there's the Church of God of Prophecy, the regular Church of God, and there's another Church of God that comes out. And, it, and just, aren't we silly, right? Can I just say that out loud? Aren't we just, just silly? But anyway, but all this kind of sweeps through, and you go through Azusa Street, you go through the beginning of the spread of Pentecostal fire in the early 1900s. It moves forward till you get to about the mid-1900s, right after World War II, between the years 1945 and about 1947-48, there was a great healing revival that came to our country. People like Oral Roberts, Brother Hagen, um, all before that there's A.A. A. Allen, Jack Coe, um, William Branham, and these are all people, if you're interested in any of their stories, uh, you can research them all, but you can look at a book. It's a compilation book called God's Generals, Part 1, written by a man by the name of Robert Slaridan. I'll look up the... Uh, you look up the thing and post it in the group. Oh, perfect. That'd be great. She'll look up a YouTube and you can just see, uh, you do, but you see just God moving in great ways. Just this, there's this great healing revival. Brother Hagen said in that time period, it was so easy to get people healed. He says it was incredibly easy to just see all kinds of stuff healed, 
right? Then outside of the healing revival, what happened is, is you started kind of a, a period that's called the charismatic renewal or the charismatic movement. And as people moved forward, uh, now we had a, a good, if you will, evangelistic Pentecostal experience. We've seen a great healing revival, then it moves forward, and now God's people need to be instructed and taught in the Word of God. And so this great charismatic renewal comes. In that charismatic renewal is a reawakening of the gifts of the Spirit, Word of wisdom, Word of knowledge, prophecy, a a bit of the return of the understanding that there are modern-day apostles, there are modern-day prophets. Those things did not pass away. All of this kind of stuff moves forward. And from that uh, comes... Um, Brother Hagen, Kenneth Copeland, a lot of people you might still recognize their names today. And again, and it goes both ways, right? Here's the great thing. You look through these history and almost all these people in one way or another are just as, just as nutty as a squirrel turd. I mean, just some of them are just for real. They're just as... They're just, they're just some nuttiness that goes on. Aren't you glad? And I say that because we're not, <laughs> they are. I mean, you read some of these stories and these people's stories, you're like going, you like scratch your head and go, and go, what? You had, you saw this, experienced this, seen God did, and you What? You know, I mean, anyway, so you say all that, and and if you're watching online and listening, I I mean, no offense, I really don't. I'm trying to be humorous to make a point, right, is is to sit there and say, aren't you glad God's not not concerned about our nuttiness? Aren't you glad we don't have to have it all together? God is just looking for folks who are willing but there's some score because I say that and what happens is if we're not careful is that we can see people's extremes. We can see where people get off. We can see where people make errors and mistakes. And if we're not careful, we discount everything that is God in order to try to protect ourselves from the extreme that's there. What I loved about Brother Hagin, Brother Hagin used to say this all the time. He said, we at least need to be as smart as an old cow and eat the hay and spit out the sticks. That's right. Right? In our modern vernacular, it might make more sense to say it like this. Hey, eat the chicken and spit out the bones. Yeah. Right? Be, let's be mature enough and discerning enough to be able to use the word of God and with the leaning of the Holy Spirit. Right. Guys, listen, can I just say this? And I'll say this. I haven't said it in a while. Even with me, please eat the chicken and spit out the bones. Because I can make mistakes. Yeah. (laughs) Do I now? No squirrel analogies anymore. Selena doesn't like my squirrel analogy. How many like my squirrel analogies? Like my squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and so. It's stealing that one. It's good. I can't sit at the table. Kevin has experienced that. I I've been ostracized. <laughs> and so, but, but I say that, listen, I love, Brother Hagin told this story too, and I'm not trying to exemplify Brother Hagin. He was just the man God led me to go be trained by. So I just know him better than I know anybody else. But Brother Hagin told the story that always marked me. He said that, that when he was in ministry and coming up, there was a man who came to town and was doing a series of meetings. 
And he says, and I did not agree 100% with that man's doctrine. He says he was quite off in a number of points. He says, but I knew my people would go. I knew my people were going to attend the meetings. So I wanted to be a good pastor. So I went to attend too, just to make sure I'm hearing what they're hearing so that I could help disciple them. And he says, and as I sat there, he answered a question I had about the Bible for 25 years. Does that make sense? Amen. So as we say that, and as you read this kind of stuff, you're going to find people get off. People make, and most of the time, they make good old, honest, unintentional mistakes. Most of the time as ministers, our mistakes are made with the best intentions of helping people. Right? And, and the reason why I bring that up and I say that to kind of bring us back on point is for this reason. In the Word of Faith movement, again, and just so it's clear and just so I don't get blackballed, but guys, I'm almost, get, I'm almost 50 years old. I know that's still quite young for many of you. I'm almost 50 years old, and I now understand what some of my elders used to say. I'm getting old enough to feel like, you know what, I'm getting old enough that I'm just going to say what I need to say. Amen. <laughs> right? And, and I'm going to try to be nice about it, but I'm just going to say what I need to say. And hopefully, and I, in my new favorite meme, you saw me post it on Facebook last week, hopefully I'm inspiring you. I might possibly annoy you. Either way, I'm happy. <laughs> if I have inspired you or annoyed you, I have done my job. No, no, no. <laughs> it's not all about me, but I've just learned that in my job. I'm either here to inspire us or aggravate us. Either way, I've got you thinking. And so, and that's, it's, it's a good thing. So anyway, so I am a word of faith minister. I do believe in what might be called the word of faith doctrine, simply because I see it all over the pages of scripture. Now, what is it? What do we mean by word of faith? We're about to read it. It's in Romans chapter 10, when Paul says, this is the word of faith, which we preach that the Lord is near us, even in our hearts and in our mouth. This is the word of faith that we preach, right? So, so what I'm about to say is I, I say it and I believe like I can say it because I come from there. But this is what I have seen that has hurt people is that we've taken faith and in an attempt, in a honest and genuine attempt to inspire people and help people, we create things like the fake it till you make it doctrine. Just get out there and start doing stuff, even if you don't believe it, and somewhere along the way you'll believe it. And it doesn't work. That, exactly. Miss Eloise says, I'm not good. Nobody's good at faking, Miss Eloise. That, and if, the, if the, we were all honest and with ourselves and with the world, we would all say the same thing. None of us are good at faking it, none of us are good at putting on the airs. Right. So I say that because we do this because you've probably heard in, in the word of faith or something connected to it. I know Kevin and I came from there and we talk about things as an example about confession. Right. And basically a real short definition of the doctrine of confession is if you'll just say it long enough, often enough and loud enough, it'll magically happen. Right. I call that Pentecostal witchcraft. Because it's, it's abracadabra, hocus pocus. Amen. Now, here's, let me be clear. I believe in what's called in Scripture the confession of faith. Because that's what saved your soul. Yes. Amen. 
There is a confession that is born out of persuasion that transforms your life. But you are first persuaded, then you confess. You will never confess and then get persuaded. Can I just be real blunt? And I say that because I want to inspire us with, because we can all, and have different stuff, we can all look at our life and look at things and go, you know, I can see in Scripture what Jesus did for me. I'm not seeing that lived out in my life yet. Can anybody join me and say that's me? We've all been there. I've been there where I can look and go, you know, I can see what Jesus did. As we said on Thursday night, I can see the completeness and the fullness of the gospel. I can see everything Jesus came to accomplish. It was clearly written. I can see everything he said he did for me. And then I can look at my life and go there. I can see some areas where that's not being manifested yet. Does that mean I don't believe? No. But it does mean I need to be more persuaded. And that should never condemn us. That should never make us feel bad. It actually should excite us. Because in his love and his mercy, he says, hey, listen, you can persuade yourself. Hallelujah. And if I can look and see where I need to be persuaded and I know what Jesus did, I I know how to close the gap. Does that make sense? I know how to shorten that up till I get persuaded. Does this make, is, yes. does this make sense? Yes. How do you close the gap? Let's talk about closing the gap. All right, here we go. Romans chapter 9. Let's read through some scripture. And I'm just going to read through. We'll pause. I need to look at our time. Making sure. It gives us a few more minutes. Everybody doing all right, huh? You know, you can't turn the AC down. You'll be just fine. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. Anybody, anybody freezing besides my wife, Miss Mary in the back? But you're sitting near a vent, Miss Mary. You're sitting near a vent. Is it cold over there? All right. Close. <laughs> Close it down. You remember, I jokingly say, you know what marriage is, right? Marriage is spending the rest of your life in a room that is either too hot or too cold. Right? <laughs> it's a great working definition of marriage. Anyway, so Romans chapter 9, verse 30. What shall we say then? The Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. Now here, Paul is speaking specifically about salvation and righteousness. He's speaking about the gospel. And we see and understand it didn't work for the Jews because they were doing it in their own effort. They were doing it under self-righteousness or the law. They weren't doing it based on exactly what Jesus had done for them. Does that make sense? Guys, listen, do you understand? We all at times have our own version of the law. Now, most Christians now, we have liberated ourselves from the law of Moses Right, And then that we understand, I, I don't have to keep the Ten Commandments to be saved. I don't have to keep the other Old Testament commandments to be saved. We would all agree with that? Is there any law you need to keep in order for you to be right with God? No. Some of you are not even going to shake your head. Anybody? Got to just come. Okay, and I hear you. There is a law of love that will come out of you because of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Right? 
But is there anything you can do to make yourself right with God? No. No. There's nothing you can do, huh? Other than the only thing you can do is accept and believe in Jesus. And then once you accept and believe in Jesus, is there anything you can do to make yourself unright with God? There's nothing you can do that will make God love you more than he loves you right now. And there's nothing you can do that will make God love you less than he loves you right now. Amen. But that's so good. Especially on them bad days. Does that, okay, what, what, <laughs> I love, because here's the thing, Miss, I love that, Miss, but here's the thing, right? Listen to me, because sometimes in our modern Pentecostal, charismatic, word of faithy, greasy, gracie churches, like the one you love that's right here in Warrior, Alabama, because we're all of those things. We are Pentecostal. We are charismatic. We are word of faith, and I am all about some grace. Mm -hmm. That is who we are, mm -hmm. right? We still have laws of our own making. Mm -hmm. yeah. We still, if we're not careful, have our own righteousness. Mm -hmm. I call it like this. It's Jesus plus theology. Mm -hmm. Jesus plus my prayer life means God really, really likes me. Jesus plus my giving means God has blessed me. Jesus plus my church attendance means Jesus plus my Bible reading. Now, please hear me. I'm real clear. Should we pray? Absolutely. Should we give? Absolutely. Should we read our Bibles? Absolutely. Should we gather together? Absolutely. As a response to everything Jesus has done. But not added to Jesus in order to get what Jesus has done. Anytime I, I believe I'm going to do something, I'm going, my work or whatever is going to add to what Jesus did and make me more favorable in God's eyes. I've just crossed into the law of righteousness because now it's on me. Are you with me? It's not. It's not. And here's the, it's not going to increase his blessing either. Or decrease his blessing. It's not going to increase your favorability to be healed. Absolutely. Miss Eloise, he does. He loves us more than we've been able to comprehend or will ever be able to comprehend. Does this make sense? And that's why, but here Paul is setting that up. He's saying that was what was wrong with Israel. The reason why Israel didn't make it is they, they were making it on their own self-righteousness instead of the righteousness that is by faith alone in Christ alone and everything that he did alone. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Right? So our, it's about Jesus. Does it, can I tell you, is this all right? I'm going slow and we'll keep picking. Is this, so we, we had, a, I won't mention names because they actually might be right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and see, but, uh, but there was, uh, there's some people and none of them are here. No, in Alabama. These are all people that we knew from 20 years ago. 
But one of the men that we looked up to, one of the leaders in our organization at the time, found out that he had Lou Gehrig's disease. He corrected, uh, what is that, ALS. ALS. He had Lou Gehrig's disease. And I was talking to another one of my mentors who I love very dearly and who has taught me a ton of what I'm teaching you. And I was talking to him, and we were talking about this brother because the brother who got Lou Gehrig's disease, he died from Lou Gehrig's disease, took his life. Right, and we were talking about it, and and he, my my friend said, Brad, you know, when I went to visit our mutual friend in the hospital, this is the first thing he said to me. He said, "What did I do? What did I do to get this? What did I miss? What did I not do?" He says it it it, it bugged my friend said it bugged me that his first response was about himself and not about what Jesus did. Come on now, are you, are you with me? I've been there. What did I do? What did I not do? Maybe I did something I shouldn't have done. Maybe I didn't do something I was supposed to do. And that's why I find myself in this situation. Listen, when life happens, you know why life happens? Because life happens. Right? Because there's, there's squirrels and nuts. I mean, the life happens, right? You know. So does this make sense? Things going bad, things happen. Things when things happen in our life, may our first... we beeping? Somebody's bread's done? But anyway, it's all good. I don't either. But it's happened now. It's all good. It's all good. Okay. That's all good. It's all good. But um, does this... Life happens because things happen. Our first response is to be, what did Jesus do with my situation? Uh, that's how do we, if we talk about persuasion and persuading our heart, what does closing the gap look like when things happen? Where's the first place my brain goes? Does my brain, does my brain go to Jesus or does it go to what did Brad do or didn't do? If my brain goes to what did Brad do and didn't do, I, I need to close the gap. I need to hear the gospel one more time. Tell me again what Jesus did. Because I somehow think it's still on me. Amen. Do you see what I'm saying? I still think in my brain, the doctor comes up and says, you got this or this happens. Or again, your, your coworker who in the right, made the right call and leaves you in the middle of a big situation. And you're standing there in the hot Alabama sun on Thursday, right? And I get a phone call. And I'm like, what in the world? Have, and I got this client's deck all torn, and, and it's valleys of decisions. And I had to realize I got to hear the gospel one more time on. because my first brain went to what's Brad going to do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I had to stop and say, oh, no, God, I, gotta, I had, to, had to break. I had to back up and get away. And I had to, to get my brain back in and go, okay, God, what are you going to do? I need you. Right, you you said you would you would help me. These things would happen. You would come, Lord. What this? And and he worked as he always does. He gave me a great client, and I went and just was honest. Told him what was going on, and it's awesome. Come on. Does that mean? Do you see? What, but in our own self, that's a it's a litmus. Don't feel guilty or condemned. It's the litmus test. It helps me know where I'm at. 
Because if my brain goes to what do I do or don't do, then I'm not thinking about what Jesus did. I know I'm persuaded when things happen and I go, Jesus got that. That's, that's, and, and, and again, please hear me. I, you understand me. This is because I also don't want to blow smoke up anybody's thing. You, you know what I mean? I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to do smoke and mirrors Christianity anymore because we're tired. It doesn't help anybody. Right. We, we should, when things happen and that, that's going to be, that's our, that's the walk of faith. That's the fight of faith. Amen. The fight of faith isn't against the disease because the disease has been handled. Jesus paid for the disease. The fight of faith is when that comes and I get that report and I get what goes on. Will I come up and be honest with myself and go, I need to hear the gospel one more time. That's the fight of faith. The fight of faith is, okay, God, persuade me a little bit more. I mean, Audra might share it in a couple of weeks. The fight of faith is, is the man with the paralytic boy who goes, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, I'm, I'm persuaded, but I need some more persuasion. Lord, I, 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 know, I know who you are. I know what you will do. I know what you can do. I know what you have done. But I, I need my soul to be persuaded a little bit more. I need my heart. Does it, that's the fight of faith. The fight of faith isn't against the, the disease has been handled. The poverty has been handled. The, the, the condemnation has been handled. The situation has already been taken care of by Jesus at the cross. It is as done as it's ever going to be. The fight of faith is in me. Will I be persuaded? Will I respond and choose to be persuaded? Amen. Amen. Does, does that make sense? How do we close the gap? That's how you, you got to be honest with yourself. Right? You have to admit there is a gap. And be okay to say there's a gap. And that's okay. That doesn't mean you failed. That just means you're normal. Because <laughs> we all got gaps. Right? I mean, even the great apostle Paul who wrote all this stuff. Philippians chapter 3. Not that I've already arrived or I've already attained. I've already achieved. But this one thing I do. Right? I forget what's behind me. I look forward and press into, and I love his phrasing, what Christ has already laid hold of for me. Amen. That's good. Amen. Paul recognized Jesus has already done it. He's already completed it. It's already finished. Jesus has already laid hold of it for me. I'm forgetting whatever, and I'm pressing now deeper into what's already there. Paul was saying, this one thing I do, I continually let faith push my persuasion deeper into the reality of the gospel. Come on. I continually let him, it just, it, it pushes my heart. Mm -hmm. So that now, and, and if I can help you, I don't think about, and I know you want, I don't think about what my response is going to be. I don't think about, well, what do I got to do in order to, to show that I've got faith? Mine is, God just, uh, mine is, Lord, I'm, I'm dedicated to being persuaded. I'm dedicated to being persuaded. I'm dedicated to being persuaded. 
persuade me. I'm coming again. Tell me one more time. Show me one more time. Again, Paul's seven prayers. There's seven prayers of Paul in the New Testament. All of them are revelatory prayers. Lord, open the eyes of our heart. Father, show us the, the, the width, the length, the depth, the height. Lord, help us see and know the hope of your calling. Help us see and know what you have already done. If you look at all those prayers of Paul in the New Testament, that was his great cry for the church, that, that we would see what has already been accomplished, that we would be persuaded of what has already been done. That's right. Make it and not because it's not there. That's exactly right. But make it stronger. I love in one translation of that in Ephesians when he talks to the great prayer about the revelation of of the love of God. He says, "God, that our roots would go down deep into your love." I love that word picture that he says, "We are planted in your love, Lord. I want my roots to keep pushing deeper and deeper and deeper into how much you love me." I want my roots to go deeper into what Jesus has accomplished for me. I want my roots to go so deep down that, again, you heard me say this before, the emperor of Mulan, that no matter how loud the wind howls, the mountain cannot bow to it. See, you are the mountain of God. You are Mount Moriah now. You are Calvary's hill. Did y'all know that? You know, everything external in the Old Testament is now internal in the New Testament. I'll, I'll land the plane on this thought. We'll have to pick up here on, on, on next time. But everything external in the Old Testament, everything was place-centered. You had to go to a special place. You had to go to the tabernacle or you had to go to Jerusalem. You had to go at the right day, at the right time, with the right sacrifice and do the right thing with the right person in the right context and you couldn't mess it up. You had to make sure your clothes were washed, your hands were washed, your hair was washed. You had to, you, you had to be right, right? And everything was place-centered. Until I love that story. You ever wondered why God... Why God led Abraham the way he did. Real quick, you remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? It says that God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, take your son. I'm going to show you a place. And at that place, you're going to sacrifice your miracle-born child. And it says that Abraham gathers the wood. He gathers his son. And they go on a three-day journey until God shows them a specific spot on a specific mountain and says, build the altar here. Abraham builds the altar. You remember, binds his son, lays his son on the altar. God sees that he's fully persuaded because I love the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, the book of Hebrews testimony about the depth of the persuasion of Abraham. It says, Abraham by faith being fully persuaded that if he killed and burned Isaac, God would raise Isaac back up from the ashes. Because his persuasion was it wasn't just a boy by Sarah, it was that boy. By that boy would come the promise of God. And Abraham had gone through a journey of relationship with God that he was so persuaded that it was that boy. God, if you want me to burn him up, I guess you're going to do something with the ashes. <laughs> so I'll kill him and burn him and you'll raise him back from the dead. 
And so when God saw Abraham's persuasion, it says a ram was caught in the thicket behind, right? And God did that. Do you know what we call that place? Calvary. Because where God led Abraham was literally to the spot where thousands of years later, God would not withhold his hand from his miracle-born son. But at the same spot and in the same sacrifice, God would smite the Lamb of God. But what did Abraham call that place? Do you remember? Notice, listen, to, but many times we get this wrong. We say God, that Abraham called God Jehovah Jireh. Abraham didn't call God Jehovah Jireh. He called that place Jehovah Jireh. From this place, from this ground, from this dirt, God will provide it all. And in that act of faith, we went from place-centered theology to person-centered theology. And now the mountain of God has moved into you. You are Calvary. Do you see that? Because from that place, Jehovah Jireh moved into people via the Holy Spirit. So that now salvation in Calvary and the provision of God goes into all the world and only Jesus needed to go to a specific place at a specific time to do a specific thing so that now everyone could be done. Does this make sense? See, that's the persuasion of God. That's what sits there. Whatever happened at Calvary God provided it all. Jehovah Jireh in you. Amen. Does that, Amen. And as we do that kind of stuff, that's our persuasion, guys. Because in the reason why, and, and, and I'm going to stop here. Because, see, I want us to have that growing in our hearts. Wait, let me read it. Romans chapter 10. I can't. Because Tony asked a question. How do you close the gap? So this is how. We've got to start at verse 14 of chapter 10. How do you close the gap of persuasion? We're going to read it in order, and then I'm going to read it backwards and see if it doesn't also make sense. Does that make sense? So verse 14. How then shall they call on him, talking of Jesus, in whom they have not believed? So how can people call on Jesus if they've never believed in him? Can they? Y'all play with me now. Can, can, how can they call on him in whom they haven't believed? They can't. they can't. How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? They can't. They can't. How shall they hear without a preacher? They can't. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach. And here it is. The extravagant too good to be true news of peace who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? What is verse 17 then? So the faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. How do you close the gap? You have to hear the gospel. Faith, persuasion only comes by hearing what Jesus has done. Mm 
There is no other way for it to come. Faith does not come by doing. <laughs> Hello? Faith does not come by fake it till you make it. Faith does not come by trying. How does faith come? By hearing and, and hearing the gospel. The too good to be true news of what Jesus has already accomplished. Amen. Right? So then if faith comes by hearing, now let's look at this backwards. Like I said, so then if faith comes by hearing, then we're going to run into people who are not going to believe. Guys, listen, you're going to run into folks who won't believe you. <laughs> they, they will be like the Pharisees. They will not be persuaded. Right? Love them. Keep preaching at them. But move on. <laughs> Just a, a, don't, get, don't let them hang you up. Right? So don't let them hang you up. Right? Preach to them the good news. There'll be folks who will not believe. You cannot help that. That's not your fault. You're just planting the seed. You're planting the seed. It says, but how beautiful are the feet of those who will tell people of the too good to be true news. Right? How shall they preach unless they're sent? Guys, who sent you? How do you know Jesus sent you? Go ye into all the world and preach the too good to be true news to every creature. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. It says, how shall they hear without a preacher? I love that they didn't say pastor. Yes. I love that he didn't say apostle. I love that he didn't say evangelist or prophet. Mm -hmm. He said preacher. That's all of us. Do you all say every believer is a preacher? Every I mean, that's why you hear me say, I am not your, I know what you mean by it, and I, I love you, but I'm not your preacher. Right? Because I can't do your job. Mm -hmm. You're the preacher of the good news of the gospel. I have the privilege of being one of your pastors. Mm -hmm. Very right? Different. Very different. You're the preacher. How shall they hear without a preacher? Right? How shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Right? And how shall they call on them of whom they have not believed? Do you see that process? So because Jesus sent us, now we can preach. And because yes. we preach, now they'll hear. And because they'll hear, now, now they have they a shot at believing. Believe. Now they have a chance to believe. And only when you believe, you call. And only do you believe, then you will call. Once you believe, you will call. Do you see that persuasion? Hey, boys over there, Shh, just real quiet. Caleb, son, sit up. Thank you. Does, does that make sense? So those kind of, guys, listen, that's what we get to be a part of. That's why it's important in our persuasion as we're there. You want to say? That's a lot. That word gospel is to the future, but the other word is euon, jelly on, or whatever. It means the happy gospel. That's right. It's good news. It's also like it's happy. It's happy. <laughs> it's right. Something I've been really kind of not, I guess convicted is the word is like our, when we're sharing the gospel. Is it people look at you in your life and what's going on? And like, is it like would it inspire somebody to to want it? Yeah. Like, is it happy? Does it look like it's been good news 
for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, that's something I've been kind of challenged by recently is. Mm -hmm. And happy doesn't yeah. mean irreverent. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people think, no, you've got to keep it reverent. Mm -hmm. well, happy doesn't mean yeah. irreverent. Well, exactly. I mean, here's my thing. Too many people are, are am I a frustrated salesman <laughs> or a satisfied customer? <laughs> Because sometimes what we are, we go out there and we're a frustrated salesman of the gospel instead of a satisfied customer. But guys, listen to, but how do you close the gap? You hear the gospel again. If I can look at my life and I can look at things and go, I need to hear the gospel again here. Lord, show me the gospel one more time here. Show me the gospel one more time here. Sometimes when you have that revelation, like if you've been praying for that gap, yeah. you get saved again. You get saved all over. I don't have I, I, I've been people. It's hard for me to say, well, Brad, when were you saved? Well, <laughs> at six, I got fire insurance. Right. But but at 19, he became Lord and, and the desires of my heart changed. But it wasn't until I went to Rama and I heard Ed Elliott. And he taught me about how much God loves me. That I realized how, how big his love is. And I was like, my God. And, and then in the sad never, but he was so awesome. Brother Ed Elliot look at you and go, y'all just a bunch of uptight missionaries. That's what he'd say. Y'all, he, he said like this, he goes, some of y'all, you're so worried about going to the wrong country. Remember this? He says, you're so worried. You're so worried you're going to miss. You're gonna, so worried you're going to miss God. He says, so let's just play a game. Let's say you go to a country and you get some people born again. And you get some people filled with the spirit. And they get transformed in God. And somewhere along the way you realize God didn't want you to be there. He'll forgive you. <laughs> I mean, and he, he was just like, you're just so, uh, he loves you so much. And then I learned what I'm, I'm wanting to share with us here. All that was freely given to me. Right? Man, I'm free. I am so persuaded, guys. I am free from my sin. I'm so bold about it that I will tell you what I tell people all over the place. You know, you can leave this place today and never have to worry about sinning ever again. You can live an absolutely perfect 100% sin-free life because you're born again. And that some, some people look at me and I the other, fought with a guy for an hour and a half over that. Because he was determined to hang on to his sin. Does that make sense? Just determined. Right? You know, but guys, we keep getting saved. saved. Amen. You know, and you say, well, when? Because now I'm looking at y'all here and going, you know, I, I want to go back about 20 years when I preached in Mexico and just destroy all those tapes if they haven't already. Can I purge? Yeah, you can purge. Please do. I've already purged a ton of stuff because I look back and go, I'm not sure how saved I was back. I mean, you know, I mean, this, and there's this, this newness, but, but I say that because we're constantly, all of us going, and I love that we talked about it just very briefly on Thursday, but the righteousness of God is from faith to faith. It's from persuasion mm -hmm. to persuasion. That's awesome. It's not from work to work. Amen. 
from good deed to good deed. It's from depth of persuasion to depth of persuasion to depth of persuasion to depth of persuasion. We're going to constantly be being persuaded just how far, just like we've already said, just how far Paul said, Lord, show us your love. He says it like this in the New Living Translation. He says, he says Father, show us as all God's children should know just how wide and how deep and how high and how far your love for us really goes, even though we'll never fully understand it in this lifetime. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Amen. Does that, Amen. guys, are you willing to let your heart be persuaded a little bit more? Yes. Amen. Father, Lord, just persuade our hearts. Lord, persuade mine. Lord, I, I don't want to pray for anybody else but me. Lord, there's a radicalness of healing that I have dabbled in. Lord, persuade me deeper in it. Lord, I want to be as persuaded about healing as you were, Jesus. Lord, you turned none away. You left no one undone, unhealed, untouched, unchanged. Everyone who came to you, everyone was healed. Oh, that is my heart's desire. Lord, I just want to just know more of my salvation. Help me unpack it further. Help me leave nothing left. Lord, help me eat all of you just as they did on that first Passover. To leave none of the lamb uneaten, but to eat everything that you've done, to consume it all and make it part of me. And Lord, I I dedicate for me that I won't let experience be the source of faith. I won't let what happens be the source of my persuasion. But Lord God, I determine that your word and what I see in your word, that is my source. That is my foundation. That is the determining of my reality. And so, Lord God, keep showing me. Lord, open the eyes of my heart. Help me see and know the hope of your calling. Lord, help me know the exceeding riches that are mine because I am a saint in you. It's my inheritance. Lord, help me know the exceeding greatness of your power that you are working through me. Lord, it's the same power you said that is present in the resurrection itself. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. I just encourage you. That's If you'd join me in that, make that your own prayer. Amen. But I, I want to pull up to the table of God and I want to eat it all. I'm not going to pick and choose my favorite parts of the gospel. But I'm going to eat the whole gospel. Amen. I want to proclaim the whole gospel. I want to see the whole gospel. Amen. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I say, guys... I want that for us. 
because, um, man, just the day in which we live, right? The day in which we live, I, I love, I love, and please hear me when I say this, and I'm not in any way trying to be um, spectacular nor prophetic. I love the day in which we live that we all get to gather together and do this. I love this. Amen. Uh, but guys, we need to be ready for a day when maybe we don't get to do this. We need, we need to be ready for a day when each of your homes will become a local church. Where each of your lives and where you are, you, you become the place people come to, to hear the gospel, to experience God, right? Amen. And, that, and that's what I want. I want us to, as a church family, be so persuaded. I want you to be so confident in your own persuasion that you're in, like we said, you're enjoying your salvation to the fullest, right? But I want you to be so persuaded that when you, when you come and run into people, again, not that you're going to have um, debates with them, not that you're going to have arguments with them, right? Not that you're going to try to convince them through apologetics, amen, but that you will be so persuaded in the gospel that you will just, you'll just declare happily the good news of your salvation.